gal. Welcome to the Brand Camp Podcast. I'm Colleen Stark, brand designer, strategist, owner of Design Studio, Canoe Point Design Co., and mama of one crazy toddler. This is a show to empower women entrepreneurs to turn their businesses into a brand by sharing stories from fellow business owners who have been there and get it. You'll hear advice and stories from ambitious, goal-getting women entrepreneurs to help you to level up your business, make money, and create a life you love with a business you are obsessed with. So sit back and enjoy with your favorite drink or while juggling a toddler in one hand and a coffee in the other because there's no judgment or sugarcoating here. Welcome to the Brand Camp Podcast. Ready to stop fighting the Instagram algorithm and start building your email list? Meet my marketing secret weapon, Flowdesk. Flowdesk is the fastest growing email marketing platform helping small business owners design emails people love to get. From stunning email templates to immersive forms, Flowdesk makes it easy for beginners and experts alike to build their email lists, engage their audiences, and convert subscribers into customers, all without a website. Who is Flowdesk for? Anyone looking to send awesome emails. Their members are primarily small business owners and creators like artists, authors, attorneys, bloggers, brick and mortar shops, business and life coaches, marketing consultants, e-commerce shops, fitness professionals, graphic designers, photographers, wedding industry professionals, and more. You guys, I'm obsessed with Flowdesk, and as a designer, you know I wouldn't use or recommend any software that wasn't gorgeous and easy to use. Their layouts are stunning and make it so easy to send a beautiful on-brand email to your list. Sending emails people want to get is just a click away. You're going to love Flowdesk. Get 50% off your first year by visiting flowdesk.com slash C slash brandcamp or use discount code brandcamp, all caps, at checkout. That's flowdesk.com slash C slash brandcamp or use discount code brandcamp, all caps, at checkout. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here and chat about some of my favorite topics with your audience. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here, especially as a fellow brand designer, brand strategist. I love talking to other designers who have unique perspectives. So thank you for being here. I'm so glad that we could chat. I love chatting with other brand designers and creatives. It's always fun to have these conversations in a way where your audience can participate too. And uh, I hope that they like what they hear today. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about what you do. Who do you work with? What's your zone of genius? Tell us all the things. Yeah, definitely. So like I said, my name is Sarah Erickson and I have a brand design studio where we create intentional and elevated brand designs for creative entrepreneurs. So that can be quite a wide variety of people. I started out working with a lot of wedding professionals, but we've since branched out to work with a wide variety of clients in all kinds of different industries. So from fine jewelry designers to currently a lodge hideaway resort, um, we've, we've really got a wide variety especially lately enjoying clients in the wellness space and interior design industry. So I love that creative challenge of getting new projects Um, across a variety of industries is always fun for me. 
I feel like for me, the zone of genius uh, is really that puzzle piece of putting together a brand that will appeal to an ideal client. Uh, And I think that's something that a lot of us brand designers really focus on. And it's something that we can really do to help our clients is give them a brand that's not just beautiful to look at, but also one that really has an impact on their business and can help them elevate and raise prices and attract clients that they really love working with. Yeah. So what does that brand strategy look like? Like what's the process like when somebody comes to you and they're like, I need a new brand, but they don't have that brand strategy. Where do you start? And how do you kind of like help them through that process? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot to this. Like I said, for me, it always comes back to that ideal client. So Mm -hmm. I think I'll maybe talk about that a little bit first, just defining who that ideal client is. And this is something that For anybody listening, you can kind of do this on your own too. Uh, Obviously, it's always great to have that third-party perspective from an expert who can help you bring it all together and really see things that maybe you're a little too close to your business to see. But that being said, it's always good to take a look at this and figure out who your ideal client is. So for me, I think of an ideal client as someone who can bring both profit and joy into your business. Uh, Non-negotiable, you have to have both. (laughs) Uh, As far as profit, you have to have profit because this is a business and not a hobby. Hobbies are great. I mean, I think we should all have more of them. But if you're here, you're focusing on trying to bring some kind of income from the work that you do. Um, And I hear creatives say this all the time. They'll be like, oh, I don't do it for the money. And I'm here to tell you, yes, you do. (laughs) You (laughs) definitely do this exactly for the money. Uh, It's for the joy too, but it's also to bring that income into your business and serve your families. And, And, you know, whether that's $50 or six figure year, you have to have that goal for profit in your business. So your ideal clients, number one, have to bring you profit at the level of income that you want. The second part of that is joy. Uh, like I said, it's not it's not all about the money. It's a little bit about the money, but we balance that out with also having that creative joy. Um, we want to have projects that bring us that creative inspiration and fulfillment. Otherwise, you'd be in an office somewhere working the nine to five, which again is totally fine. But there's something that pulled you to this job, uh, something that wanted you wanted to bring your creativity out and to do projects that really light you up. Um, So we've got those two things, profit and joy. We have to figure out who's someone who can bring you both of those things into your business and then create the strategy that appeals to that ideal client. So does that all make sense so far? Yes, I'm following. Yep. So how do we, so once we figure out like that profit and the joy, then what do we do? Yeah. Okay. So this is the fun part. (laughs) Once you've defined sort of what that level of income is and what types of projects bring you creative joy, now we can start to figure out who that client is and how we can appeal to them. So when you're looking at your brand, I like to think of that as being made of three main components. You have your brand visuals, which I think is what a lot of people think about when they think of a brand. And that's what I design and what many other brand designers will work on. Your logos, your fonts, your colors, all of that good stuff. So you have your brand visuals. And then you also have your brand voice. So the way that you speak to your clients, whether that is in video or written captions, um, you know, that's another major component of your brand. And then the third and final is your imagery. So any photography, you know, that old a picture's worth a thousand words, that's really going to come across uh, and speak for your brand as well. So we've got that visuals, voice, and imagery. Those are the three areas where you can start to target a strategy so that you can start to bring in those ideal clients who can bring the profit and joy into your business. So for me, I focus on that first one, the visuals. And here's a little bit about what my creative process usually looks like, uh, starting with that strategy. So first, I'll usually dig into some of the emotions behind a client decision. 
And that's something that I think a lot of people miss when they're looking at their ideal client. You know, it's easy to come up with a list of demographics and say, okay, she's, you know, uh, 30s, she's a mom, she's busy. And then we kind of stop there, you know, (laughs) and there's so many more things that are important to know about that ideal client. Um, More specifically would be what are her fears, hopes, and dreams? What are the things that are really motivating her? Um, It's not just, again, what they do or what they look like. It's the why behind it. So we really want to dig into that. And some of that is just a little bit of brainstorming, you know, putting yourself into the client's shoes. And then some of that can also be asking past ideal clients what that was like for them. You know, what were their fears, hopes, and dreams? And you can start to build on people who were an ideal client and start to put together, you know, a bit of a a motif that way that kind of tells us who they are, what their emotions are, you know, and then how we are are uniquely equipped to solve their problems and alleviate their fears. So mm-hmm. you have that that first piece of what is the emotion that drives them. And then the second piece is that you are here to help fix those problems. Yes. <laughs> Whatever that pain point is, you can offer a solution. So that's really kind of the simple recipe to the strategy is to figure out, you know, what their pain points are, what are their fears, what are their dreams, and then how are you uniquely equipped to guide them on that path to overcome their fears and achieve their dreams. Okay. And that's something that you, like, this is the strategy that you use with your clients and you help them figure these things out. Yeah, exactly. I love diving into this stuff. <laughs> yeah, really so do I. about the research and strategy. <laughs> so what if somebody comes to you and they have a couple different ideal clients? What do you do then? Yeah, yeah. That's always, I think there are a lot of people who are balancing multiple ideal clients. And I think a lot of times it actually comes down to someone who's more similar than you might think. And it really can kind of come back to one ideal client. So there are cases where you need to target to two different ideal clients, but I think that's one of the things that's helpful about looking at the emotions and sort of these, you know, deeper underlying parts to your ideal client. A lot of times there is a common thread there. So even if they're purchasing different products, it's totally possible that there could be a similar emotion that's driving them to purchase those products. So you can I, you can definitely run into situations where it's a little more nuanced and you kind of need to target two ideal clients. But I think the best approach in my mind is if you can figure out the common threads between the two of them and then put together a brand that will really appeal to both of them because they do have that underlying common emotional thread. Yeah, I do find like as I'm working with clients that a lot of the time they are very similar, the um, ideal clients. And I had a coach once who explained it to me when I asked that about if you have like multiple ideal clients, she's like, you can have like a big sister and a little sister. So it's like, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like somebody who's like a little bit younger. So this is when I was still working in the wedding industry and I was doing wedding stationery and we were figuring out my ideal client. And so we had like a Jennifer as the big sister and a Jenny as the little sister. And they were very similar, (laughs) but they had some like different characteristics. Like Jennifer was more established in her career and Jenny was kind of just starting out and just graduated from college. So I find that I love that analogy. And I think that really makes sense too. And I can see how you could have sort of that big sister, little sister, but maybe, you know, what they're both looking for is confidence in their business or, you know, there's all kinds of different emotions that I think are those common threads that sort of bring them together under that brand umbrella so that your brand still offers the solution, even if there are those nuances in how you want to talk to big sister and little sister. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So we have our ideal client. We figured it out. We've gone through the process either by ourselves or we've hired you or we've hired another um, brand strategist. So do you have a method to designing to appeal to that ideal client? Like how do you, so we have our ideal client. How do we now shift into the designing and the visual aspect? 
Yeah. Well, I was going to say the fun part, but I yeah, don't know. It is. the strategy is the fun part too. So <laughs> it's all fun. <laughs> it's all fun to me. Yeah. So we've got that strategy. We have a really good grasp on the emotions and who this person we want to target is. We know that they're going to bring a certain level of income into our business. We know that they're going to bring that creative joy. Um, so now we dig into the design and I'll share a little bit about what my process usually looks like. And I think there's a lot about this that people can do on their own as well. Um, you know, again, there are certain benefits benefits to having that, that extra eye oh, <laughs> that's yeah. not quite so close to your business on it. But yep. I do think you can definitely do some of these on your own. So for me, the first part is I really do like to start with a mood board, but I have a couple of caveats here. <laughs> to me, a mood board, mood board is designed to reflect just that, a mood. Um, so for me, it's about that overall feeling and not about direct inspirations. And I think that's something that a lot of times you know, certain designers are tempted to do, but also a lot of people who are creating a mood board on their own are really tempted to do is fill that mood board with really specific examples of logos that they like or typographic inspirations. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of dangerous territory because you're moving away from the heart of your own brand and now you're drawing inspiration from someone else's. So that's tough when you're setting the tone for the project with a design that already belongs to someone else. <laughs> yeah. So I highly encourage you guys to create a mood board only with photographs, no logo inspirations, no typography, none of that, <laughs> no direct design inspiration. So if you can start with photographs, you'll be a lot closer to that emotion that you're trying to create. And you can look at colors, you can look at the movement, you can look at the editing style, all of those are going to come together to create that overall feeling or mood. So that's a really great place to start in terms of just getting a feel for, I know it's a little bit, a little bit loose, but an overall feeling for what the project, uh, you know, should feel like. Yeah. And I feel like, and once you like start with that one photograph, like you find a photo that you're like, that is my vibe. Like that is exactly <laughs> like what my brand emulates. It's easy to find other photographs that are kind of the same vibe. And once you put those all together, then yeah, you have a mood. Yeah, exactly. And I love that even a simplified approach of just finding one or two photos. I think it's so much better to go for that quality over quantity here. Like you said, if you find one photo that just feels like, oh, that's it. That's the vibe. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. You know, I think that's that's exactly right is just to set that overall tone. And the way that photograph makes you feel is the mm -hmm. same way you want the brand to make your clients feel. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, print that out, put it in front of your computer, <laughs> let it just be the overall tone. And after that, for me, the next step is usually sketching. So I definitely like to start from scratch on paper. Well, I mean, I guess on my iPad, yeah. <laughs> digital paper, but this is a great way to help keep your ideas feeling original and fresh. And these don't have to be the final version or anything like that. But I think it's really helpful just to put some ideas on paper. And for me, I like to work in thumbnails. So that means uh, literally about the size of a thumb, I guess. <laughs> um, usually like one inch by one inch. Um, I like to sketch out some layouts really quickly. It helps me focus on the overall composition without getting too precious or too into the weeds on details. You don't want to get really, you don't want to get too committed to one idea quite yet. <laughs> At this stage, we're looking for the overall layout um, or some, some explorations of custom compositions like typographic monograms or illustrations. You know, we can just kind of block out a couple of layouts for how we want the type to all work together. So this is a great way just to start again. You're, you're, you're starting with the building blocks here. You're getting the overall feel, nothing too detailed quite yet. I don't, I don't show the clients this part of the process. This is all kind of behind the scenes. And I usually create anywhere from 30 to 50 thumbnails. Um, it harkens back to my design school days. 
uh, where it was like, go home. Your homework is to design a hundred thumbnails and bring them in the next day. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I definitely don't do quite that many anymore, (laughs) but I do really like that iterative process. So, um, you know, again, you're just getting all the ideas on paper. Some of them really bad. (laughs) It's good to get the bad ones out so you can make room for the good ideas. And then sometimes a bad concept sort of sparks another idea that turns into something else that can become something really worth exploring. So that iterative process for me is really helpful in that exploration and finding something that really is unique uh, that's going to be true to you. Mm -hmm. So then when I'm feeling good about those ideas, I'll select three or four to refine and digitize. So yeah, for anyone at home, I would say if you're wanting to do that, again, just think in sort of those building block steps. You know, it could be draw a circle for where you want a graphic to go and draw a block for where you think the type layout should be. (laughs) You're really just looking at those overall compositions and then you can start to get into more of the details uh, once you bring it on screen. Yeah, I love that. So how do you know, like as you're designing these thumbnails, like how do you know that they're going to appeal to your ideal client? And if you want to give some examples, like go for it. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, there are some that as soon as I draw it, I'm like, oh, not that one. (laughs) And then there are others that I'm like, okay, this feels interesting. It feels unique. And those are the ones that I'll probably sort of star to develop a little bit more and keep exploring. And the things that I'm looking for there usually have to do with the feeling or connotation that comes from, in particular, the typography or the illustration style. Um, I'm definitely a huge type nerd. That was something that I got to study in design school. Um, So all of those different components have a different connotation or feel to them. Um, Most designers will be familiar with that and kind of have a repertoire for, let's say something is in all caps, in a serif font, um, you know, that might be something that feels more traditional and established and mature. Um, Or you could have something that's in a really bold and chunky sans serif. That's going to have a totally different feel. Um, So all of those different little details are things that are going to appeal to one person over another. You know, they're all evoking a certain emotion. And so even in those little sketches, you know, I'm, I'm adding serifs to my little sketches, or I might be looking at the contrast, that's the width between the thicks and the thins and the letter forms. Again, those are all going to have just kind of a different feel and emotion. Um, So we want to make sure that that's in line with that ideal client's emotions, (laughs) if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And that's the benefit of hiring a brand designer is that we have that experience like we know what's going to appeal to certain people. We know what fonts are going to go with certain vibes. Like that's what we do. That's our zone. Yeah, of absolutely. It, it takes a lot of studying and an ongoing learning to sort of keep that mental library of which typefaces have which types of feelings and who they might appeal to. Um, but I think the thing for everybody to remember who's listening in is just to put on the glasses of your ideal client as you're working on your brand. Like for all of us, even for designers, I think it can be tempting to think about what appeals to me. Mm-hmm. And that is not at all what we're about here. <laughs> it's always about what appeals to the ideal client. So yeah. it really doesn't matter if you love the color purple or hate it, you know, it matters whether or not your ideal client does. So I think just taking a step back throughout the process and thinking like, okay, if I were my ideal client, is this something that would resonate with me? That goes a long way just to give yourself that little gut check. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes our ideal client is very similar to ourselves. Like my ideal client is very similar to me, but sometimes it's not. And it's important to kind of figure that out ahead of time so that you know when you're designing or when you're hiring a designer, what you're looking for, what your ideal client is looking for. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that comes in in a big way. I mean, there's all kinds of money mindset stuff we talk about, but I feel like that can come in in a big way when it comes to that profit component. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there, there's such a wide range of clients out there who are willing to pay all different amounts of money and it's all relative. (laughs) So I think it can be easy to say, well, I would never pay that much for X, Y, Z, but I promise you someone out there will. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So It's good to remember that, that there is an ideal client for everyone. I really do believe that they're out there. It's just about finding them and appealing to them. Yeah. And so with the profit, how do you figure that out? How do you, like, if like Like, another designer or another business owner comes to you and they're like, they're trying to figure out their profit and their joy, how do you help them through figuring out their profit part of it? Oh, I love doing this. (laughs) (laughs) So I love to sort of work backwards, um, you know, kind of starting with what do you really want to take home in your business? Uh, And like I said, that can really be any amount. There are people that just want to bring in an extra 50 or $100 to be able to have that little extra spending money every Mm -hmm. month. And then there are people who are looking for 10 K months or higher. Um, and whatever that looks like for you, I think that's where you want to start is not what are people willing to pay, but what do I want to take home from my business? Um, so starting there is going to give you some really solid numbers so that you're not having to make up your numbers (laughs) based on what you think people will pay. Uh, you just know this is the amount that I need to make. And when I divide that by the number of projects that I can take on per month, then I know what my price is (laughs) and it makes everything really black and white so that you know, then you can start to tailor the services to meet that price point. You can start to target that client. Um, But it really takes a lot of the sort of guesswork or emotion out of the money mindset. So um, I definitely recommend starting from there, you know, what you want to take home and then figure out how much time you can actually devote to your business and how many projects that allows you to take on. So a little bit of math will get you there. (laughs) Yeah. So Um, let's say we in this fake business we're going to make right now, we want to take home $120,000 this year, just to make math easy. That's 10 K that's, that's 10 K months. So then what do we do? So we've divided 120 into 12 months, 10 K a month. Then what do we do? If you're a service-based business, you know how complicated managing multiple clients or potential leads can be. Enter HoneyBook. HoneyBook is a client management system or CRM that has everything your business needs to get it done. From managing projects, booking clients, sending invoices, and getting paid, HoneyBook has it all. When I was starting my business, I had no way of tracking all of my projects and it drove me absolutely crazy. So when I tell you joining HoneyBook was a game changer, I mean it. And my clients love it too. Not only can you keep track of all of your projects, but all of your files and documents have one place to live. You can streamline client communication with their email templates, manage your bookings and payments, and just make it easier to get paid. HoneyBook saves you time so you can focus on your passion, and you can get 20% off your first year by going to share.honeybook.com brandcamp. That's share.honeybook.com brandcamp, or visit the show notes or affiliate links page on our website, brandcamp.com. Exactly. So let's say you want to take home 10K a month. Then I would take a look at how much you can actually work each month. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, some people, especially I know like busy moms may only be able to give a certain number of hours. Yeah. Raising my (laughs) hands. Some of you might be working 40 hours a week or maybe more. Maybe this is just really a season where you want to put your, put your work in. 
Or the flip side, maybe you have really limited time right now and you know that you can only devote 10 hours a week or 15. So once you know those number of hours, then you can decide how many projects you can actually complete within those that number of hours. So okay. again, just for our example's sake, let's say that I have 40 hours a week to give and it takes me 20 hours per project. I'm going to take on two projects per month. That's the amount of time that I have to give and the amount of projects that I can take on. Mm-hmm. And I'll go back to that 10K divided by two because I can only take two projects. And that means each of my projects needs to cost $5,000. So okay. it's again, you can kind of work with some of those numbers a little bit and play with them. Again, if you have more hours to give, or maybe you're going to refine your workflows so that your projects are much more efficient and you're spending less time on them so you can take on more projects, or you hire someone who's going to come in and help with some of that. So there are a lot of variables, but I think just that overall idea, um, you know, of how much you want to take home per month and how much you can actually commit to working on those projects will go a long way in helping you define that profit for yourself. Yeah. And it might take a little bit of guesswork in the beginning. If you have, if you don't know how long it's going to take you to do a project, I still, I'm so bad for this. I still don't know how long certain things take and I've been doing this for seven years and I just, I need to just time it out. And just so I have that like knowledge in the back of my head. Um, yeah. And do it again and again too. Cause yeah. I, I used to be so diligent about time tracking. I would just, I used an app called toggle yeah. um, and it was great. Cause you kind of just press play and then pause when you're working and you can categorize it according to project. But I used to use that really consistently. And then I kind of stopped for six months or even like a year. And then when I revisited it, I found out that my scope of projects had really increased. I was spending a lot more time than I used to because I had added more services. Mm -hmm. I was doing more in-depth strategy. And those were all things that were taking more time than I had previously budgeted. So I think it's good just every once in a while to kind of check in and really time yourself on a project so that you know how much uh, it's really taking you. And also don't forget to include all the like little things that we kind of don't really count as going towards a project. Like if you're emailing, that definitely counts as time you're spending on that project. I count like if I need to go get a cup of coffee, that's part of the project. You know? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's the time that you have to give to work. So again, if if that's your work time, you know, make sure you're building in the things that really all encompass the project. Yeah, definitely. So once we figured out our profit, we're like, okay, we'll take on two clients per month, 5k each, then what do we do to figure out the joy? Cause we want to make sure that, like you said, what we're doing makes us really happy and we're bringing in that profit. Um, and I think, I think it's important to say that it's okay to do it for the money. Like you want to, you want to obviously be happy in what you're doing, but it's okay that you want to support your family and you want like money, bringing money in is going to help support your life. Like, and that's okay. hundred percent. It's more than okay. It's a great thing. Yeah. (laughs) I totally have kind of been through a lot of different feelings around that and around money. When I started my business, my husband asked how much money I wanted to bring in. And I told him one penny. I just said, as long as (laughs) it did not cost us money, (laughs) I was like, let's give it a year. And if I just make like a cent, (laughs) I I think I'll keep going with it, you know, and it it turned out thankfully to be so much more than that and to continue building each year um, in a way that I really did not expect. And now I'm the primary income earner for our family. My husband went back to grad school. We moved across the country. We bought a house. And that's all things that we were able to do from my business. And it's just, it's the the greatest joy to know that my business is letting him pursue his dream and letting us build a life that we're really happy with, you know, and that is is so wonderful. And then for my clients, you know, that's money that 
they wanted to spend with me that they saved up or that they had available to spend. And I really do believe if you can feel confident and proud about your services, you know, they got a great value for that. And I feel really proud of the work I was able to give to them and to know that they get a return on that investment too. You know, they're walking away with something that is going to make them more money as well. So (laughs) there's, it's not necessarily, you know, a give and take. It's one of those things that spending that money can really elevate the income for all of us. And I think that's a really good thing. Yeah. Brand design and brand strategy is an investment. It's not an expense. It's not like a cost. It's an investment, meaning that you see that money come back. And I think people, when they think about like, well, I can design a logo myself, you totally can. And sometimes that's the best decision for you and your business. But if you spend that money with a designer, you're going to see it come back. Absolutely. Yeah. I know. Sometimes I I feel like I'm just so lucky because (laughs) it is something that sees such a quick return on investment. You know, it's something that I, again, I I don't have any guilt about asking my clients for that money because I feel confident that they're going to get something that really is going to be worth that value to them and more, Um, you know, that's going to benefit them and their own families and let them provide for their families and spend their money on things that matter to them. So yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of that money mindset shift that has to happen, but Mm -hmm. asking for money, definitely not a bad thing. In fact, a very good thing. (laughs) Yeah. And it allows you to like put it back into the world too. Like the money that you're receiving, you're giving away as well. So it's just kind of like a healthy (laughs) money mindset circle. Exactly. Yes. So yeah, I, I mean, money can definitely be part of the joy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's definitely something that is a motivator for me and I think should be a motivator for all of us who do run small businesses. There's always that conversation of how much is enough, but I think most of the time we are tempted to cap that too low <laughs> yeah. instead of the other way around. So I'm I'm really not worried about anyone in this audience being too greedy <laughs> or anything no. like that. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think there's always room to go up on that income and it's not a bad thing to do that. I think it's it's a really great thing. Yeah. yeah. And then as far as some of the other parts of joy, I know that was a little, I, it was a great no, little tangent. Yeah. <laughs> I love money mindset and I love, I love talking it. about it. <laughs> So the money can totally be part of the joy. Um, But some of the other things that I look for as far as what brings you joy could be the types of projects that just light you up, let you do your best work, make you feel creatively inspired. So you can kind of look at that through a certain aesthetic that you want to attract, that you really enjoy working in that particular style. Or it could even be people who share a certain common thread, like if they're really down to earth and you just want to work with really chill, laid back people, you know, if that brings you a lot of joy in your business to work with people who are really low key, you know, or maybe for you, the joy could be tied to getting some recognition or publications. I think that's really cool too. If, if some of your bucket list goals are to, you know, work, you, you mentioned wedding industry to work weddings that do land in some of those top publications, you know, those are really cool goals too. So I think knowing what really brings you that excitement in your business is a really good thing. For me, I think a lot of times that comes from the style and aesthetic is definitely important. I love getting people who bring me something that I'm really excited to create for them, uh, just from, from that creative standpoint. Um, and then also I just feel lucky to have worked with clients who, yeah, have that, I, I guess, down to earth or really appreciative and kind, um, you know, having that, that type of client goes a long way in making projects a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's important to work with people that you like. Like yeah. <laughs> I, when I started my business, I worked with some really great people and I found that some clients I just didn't gel with and that's okay. Like it's a, you're not for everybody and finding those people that you really vibe with, I think is really important. I agree. And 
just not to not to stay too long on money mindset, but I'll throw out there that there are also wealthy people who are also really nice. Yes, yes. <laughs> I feel like are. I hear that all the time where people are like, well, what if I raise my prices and then I don't get, you know, this sweet client that I'm used to working with? And I'm like, where does that come from that we think the people who have tons of money to spend are just going to be like uppity or persnickety? Yeah. That's so not true. Like there are people who have more than enough money to spend on you and want to invest in you who are also going to be really sweet and kind and nice. <laughs> yeah. I've actually found that as I raise my prices, I gel with the people that I'm working with more. And I had a lot more issues um, with clients the lower my prices were when I was just starting out. I had a lot of issues with clients. And then as I raised my prices, yeah, I I love the people that I work with. So yeah. It, and on it, that low, low end, you're exactly right. Like when you're underpricing your work, you know, I mean, think about it. If someone, you know, is on that lower end, they might have had to really save up and scrimp and save to make this project possible. So, you know, they really have a lot of emotional investment in that project. And that's not always a bad thing, you know, but they, that, that money is a lot more precious to them than it is to someone who maybe has a lot of money to spend and they want to invest. They are excited about what they're going to get from it. Um, you know, but that money is not necessarily quite as, emotionally heavy as it might be for someone who really had to save up for it. So, um, you know, there's a lot of that money mindset to think about if you feel comfortable working with people who really treasure that investment that they're making with you, um, or people who maybe have a lot more disposable income and they're not quite so emotionally tied to the project for that reason. Um, again, those are all things to sort of explore and, and figure out who you really like working with. I think there are people that are really well equipped to serve, you know, that, that entire spectrum of people from super low prices to super high prices and really what works for you and the amount of time that you want to invest in your projects, uh, so that you're still hitting that profit goal. Yeah. Totally. So how do you, other than design, how do you attract ideal clients in your business? Because your free resources are amazing. That's like one of the first things that I noticed when I went to your website. And I feel like that probably gets the attention of really great leads. And yeah, how do you, so what do you do other than design? Is it just the free resources? Do you have an email newsletter? Like how do you attract ideal clients, especially since you are not on Instagram, which is a big thing. So (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Tons to cover there. Yeah. (laughs) I'll start with that last part, not being on Instagram for personal reasons and also business reasons. I decided that just for me, I didn't necessarily want to be investing my time and energy in Instagram all the time. Um, (laughs) I may, it's not forever. I mean, I probably will pop back on every once in a while and, and give some updates and things like that, but I'm just not really investing my time there since everything turned to video. So some people love video and create content quickly and it works really well for them. It brings them that profit and joy. (laughs) But for me, when I looked at the amount of time it would take for me to create valuable content um, from that like brainstorming to creating graphics and now adding live videos and 24 hour updates. For me, it just, it wasn't worth the time. Like, again, I I broke it down with some math and I was like, the amount of time I would spend is just not worth it for me. So I just knew for every hour I spent creating Instagram content, I could create 50 Pinterest graphics, you know, those would be evergreen for years to come. Or I could up-level my referrals by sending a handwritten note to a past client or writing an evergreen blog post that's going to help my audience. I could go on a coffee date and network. There were just so many things that I was like, okay, for every hour, I would rather watch a sunset and have a glass of wine with my husband than (laughs) creating Instagram content. So... Again, I'm not saying that I'll never return to Instagram. It just, 
for me for a season, I was kind of like, look, this is not worth the time investment. So I really had a mantra over the past couple of years of focus on what is life sustaining and not life draining, uh, both for you and for your business. And for me, Instagram, 1000% life draining. (laughs) So that definitely made a shift into, okay, well, if I'm not going to get those leads from Instagram anymore, where can I find these people? Um, And that's something that I would definitely encourage all of you to do as you're digging into this ideal client uh, is to find out where they hang out. I guess my husband and I are really into birding, like going out to find birds, look at them in binoculars. I love them on our life list. Um, But my husband always says, if you want to see more birds, you just got to be where the birds are. It's so true. Like you won't see. I love that. If you never leave your couch, you just have to get out there and they'll be there. You just have to have to actually make the effort to get out there to go see them. Um, And I just, I think that's so true for our clients too. You won't be able to appeal to them if you're never in the same room as they are, um, if you never encounter them. So you just have to get in front of them. I think you can get in front of them, you know, virtually and in real life. So start to pay attention to what are those common threads of where they like to hang out? Is it a particular Facebook group? Is it a particular Instagram hashtag? You know, where are they sort of hanging out, looking for a designer or, you know, whatever services you offer? And then some of that can be a little more fun too. You're not just targeting them directly for your services, but you know, you're really offering whatever you can that's going to provide them with real value. So let's just say you find out that all of your clients just really love to hang out in coffee shops. Like they go work in coffee shops all the time. (laughs) So you as a business owner could create a coffee shop playlist on Spotify that you put out for free um, and you'll be top of mind every time they listen to that playlist. So, (laughs) you know, it's just finding out like, where do they actually like to hang out? And once you figure that out, you're going to give them something of value. That's kind of where my free resources come in a little bit. I've tried to put out quite a few different blog posts or freebies for my email list, but these also kind of serve a selfish purpose for me. (laughs) Most of my free resources come from a question that landed in my inbox more than once. So for example, one of my freebies is a color palette library um, with a hundred different curated color palettes. And that just came from, I would get people emailing me all the time saying, Hey, I'm working on a brand. Like, do you have any suggestions for colors I could use? (laughs) And once I got that question twice, it's turning into a freebie or a blog post or whatever it is. So once you start to notice these patterns of what people are asking for you, turn them into a free resource that gives value for them. And it also cut down on my time because now I can just send them the link and say, sure, download it here <laughs> instead of having to, you know, come up with the, oh, I don't know. I don't have time to do this. No, it would just be quicker to just give them a little, you know, <laughs> you don't really want to be doing that in your inbox every day. It's that decision drain. Um, So when people are asking you things more than once, turn them into something that is going to be evergreen content for you that you can put on your blog or put on your email list that's going to give value to your ideal clients and save you time in the meantime. (laughs) I love it. I love your free resources. I'm like, I'm going to download all of them because (laughs) I love them so much. They're so helpful. And they just break down a lot of questions that I've received as a designer. And you were smart enough to turn it into a resource that people can download. And that generates new leads. And it's just like a beautiful cycle. 
Yeah, that it's exactly that. It's a cycle. And that's something I noticed with Instagram that I would post something and it just felt like it disappeared so quickly. And I was like, I've put a lot of, you know, time and thought into into this content. And I just felt like it had such a short life on Instagram. But there really is this whole cycle of marketing. If you can create those resources that really are valuable, then you can put those resources on Pinterest. And like I said, you can create 50 or 100 graphics that all link back to the same resource. Those all live forever on Pinterest. They're going to be optimized into that search engine. So now you've just created so many different points that your clients could encounter you and get onto your email list or inquire with you, all based on one freebie that really offers high value. Uh, And those live on forever. They're evergreen. Um, Same with blog posts, that those are something you can always point back to. Yeah, (laughs) I think I told you I was in a mastermind for a couple of years and it was like, the running joke that people would ask me something and I'd say, Oh, I have a blog post for that. <laughs> I love but it. That was kind of my goal is, is well, I didn't necessarily set out to try to have a blog post for everything, but, uh, having that blog post really helped me think about my ideas and format them in a way that I wanted to with any relevant links and to put it somewhere that it lives where I don't have to type it up in an email or try to remember what I wanted to say about that topic. I can just say, visit the link. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. I love free resources. I think they're so great for businesses. And the more I talk about Instagram, the more I realize how absolutely draining it is. And it only has a shelf life of like a day or two days. And when you use things like Pinterest or blog posts, like they live on. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) It's just trying to get a little bit more leverage than, you know, one day of a story or a reel. Um, And again, not that those aren't bad things. I think there are a ton of people who, you know, really thrive on that and really enjoy doing it. And if that's you, like more power to you, enjoy it. (laughs) It's going to be fun for you. It's going to bring in those leads. That's great. I just feel like for me, I was not seeing that evergreen content that I want to. And I will say just like a fair note, I think a lot of those resources that you put on Pinterest or on an email list are a much longer lead time where you might have to nurture them a little bit more. Um, So don't necessarily expect that you can quit Instagram tomorrow and have a ton of leads in your inbox (laughs) the next day. Um, It does take a little bit of time for those to pick up traction on Pinterest or to bring your Google SEO results a bit higher. So you can kind of phase one out as you're starting to work on another. Uh, It just takes a little bit of time. And again, I think the best thing is if you can get them onto your email list, uh, because then you can really continue to give them good resources, build that trust and credibility, you know, and then they'll be ready to purchase from you versus they may not be ready to purchase right away if they just see you on Pinterest or Instagram. Yeah. So if somebody doesn't want to hire you for design, how else can they work with you? Yeah. So you are always welcome to hire me for design. I do have a couple of other services as well. I do have a mentoring and consulting service where we can work together one-on-one in a 45-minute Zoom call, which is a great way to just talk about any obstacles that you're currently facing in your business. And again, to get that third-party perspective, um, we we all just work so closely in our businesses all the time that this, this is a great opportunity just to have the expert eyes on your business, to ask any questions. You know, so many times we don't know what we don't know. (laughs) So working with a professional is a great way to illuminate some areas where you could really grow in your business and to sort of solve some of those issues or obstacles. I really get passionate in particular in those sessions, exploring client experience and what we can do to elevate that client experience or for those who are 
brave enough and vulnerable enough. I love to do a portfolio review or a critique of your work. Um, I think that's so important to get that feedback from our mentors and our peers. So those are just a couple of ways that we can use that one-on-one time. Awesome. And where can we find you on, uh, on the internet? Yeah, not usually on Instagram. No, (laughs) (laughs) I do. I have a profile up there. So you're welcome to look. But the better place to find me would be at my website, which is sarahandesign.co. And that's where I have my services listed as well as all those freebies we were chatting about. So please feel free to go and browse around the blog, soak up all of those goodies. They're there for you. And I would love for you to be able to enjoy them. Yay. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was so lovely to talk to you. And I want everybody to go download all of the resources because they are so great. And yeah, we will chat soon. Thank you so much. I had so much fun talking about these topics. And if anyone wants to continue the conversation, I am all about that. So feel free to send me an email. Um, I would love to get to know you guys better. And I'm so glad that you are here to join the conversation today. And thanks for listening in. If you're anything like me, you're a little disorganized when it comes to planning your social media feed. So when I heard about Planoly, I was hooked. Planoly is your all-in-one platform to plan, schedule, and share your social content across Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, and Twitter. As an official Instagram and Pinterest partner, Planoly continues to pave the way for businesses of all sizes to carry out their social marketing strategies seamlessly and effortlessly, simplifying social marketing for all. With Planoly, you can draft, plan, schedule, and publish content, analyze your business profile data, and it comes in a web and mobile app. With their Sell It feature, you can sell anything to anyone with a single click, without the need for a website. Sell It transforms your social content with a single link into a social storefront. It's never been easier to turn your followers into customers. I use Planoly for all of my businesses, and it makes it so easy to set it and forget it for your social media. They have auto posting, which I love, and even show you the best times of day to post. If you're like, yes, I need this in my life, go to planoly.com slash referral slash canoe point design co or visit the show notes or affiliate links page on our website, brandcamp.com. That's planoly.com slash referral slash canoe point design co or visit the show notes or affiliate links page on our website, brandcamp.com. Thank you for listening to the Brand Camp Podcast brought to you by Canoe Point Design Co. I hope you enjoyed the episode and learned some key tips and advice to level up your business. Make sure to subscribe to the channel so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed our chat today, let us know by leaving a review. I'd love to connect with you on social at Brand Camp Podcast on Instagram and Facebook to continue the conversation. Tune in next week for another episode of Brand Camp Podcasts.